Hey, it's really good to be back. I've had several weeks off of preaching, so I feel a little rusty. I've got a, my voice sounds tired to me, so I don't know if it sounds tired to you or not, but it's really good to be back. Um, our family, we were traveling through August, uh, a few different places, and uh, last week we were back, and my wife preached. Uh, she can't be here today. She's staying home with all the kids, so everyone, they're all watching online, so hey, family, love you guys, miss you guys, uh, but glad we had the online option. And uh, she started off a little mini two-week teaching series uh, that we're doing uh, called uh, Live to Give. Uh, she started last week, and I'm finishing this week. I'll be talking about the windows of heaven from Malachi 3, verses 6 through 10. Um, but before we jump into that, let me just, in honor of September 11th yesterday, just remind us of just the, the importance of, of really remembering that event and all, those, all the heroes that sacrificed their lives uh, for our country and although all the people also just were affected by that in so many different ways. It's kind of a heavy thing. Um, yesterday, uh, my wife and our kids, we were um, watching a few YouTube videos, just kind of like learning different things and kind of hearing different stories about it. And it's a heavy thing, but we need to honor those uh, who sacrificed their lives and those affected by it. But also, we've still got so much turmoil in our world today, right? So we think about Afghanistan. Um, let's be praying. We've got, I think Chicago's receiving about 500 um, Afghani refugees, and so I would encourage us to find ways to serve them and to welcome them to our city, to our country, uh, to be a blessing uh, to them. I can't imagine what they've been through. And also, still so many just trapped and stuck. We need to pray for. You know what? Let me just pray right now. You can join me in prayer. Father, we just come to you today. We cry out to you. Um, and Lord, we want to pray for comfort for all those just thinking about September 11th. Pray for all those still really the ongoing impact of what was lost and uh, we know all the different sicknesses and cancers that were affected, created by that as well. Lord, we just pray for healing and strength for everyone still affected by the, the ongoing trauma and, and health related to those, uh, that, uh, that tragic event. And God, we, we, so we pray for peace, for comfort for that. But also, Lord, we pray for the situation in Afghanistan. Lord, would you let your gospel shine? Lord, would the church flourish? Would, would people turn to you? Would you be glorified through all this? But we pray for protection on people. We pray, God, really help our leaders. God, to make much better decisions and to uh, really do what's right. I really pray for that, God, uh, that there will be a real turnaround here uh, and that you will be glorified through this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, with, as I said, we're finishing this mini two-parter series, Live to Give, today. Uh, let's read here Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. This is, if you've been in church any, any length of time, you've probably heard this um, uh, a bunch of times. I was looking it up, actually. We, I, I haven't preached on this verse in several years, actually, so it's about time we get back to it. Um, but preachers love to bring this one out. I just got just to be honest about it. This is a, a, a preacher's verse. So uh, we're going to do it today. So Malachi 3, 6 through 10 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. 
and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. This is God's word. So Malachi is a prophet in the Old Testament. Old Testament's full of all these representatives, these prophets that God raises up to speak on his behalf to the people. And it's a very difficult job being a prophet. They were mistreated, abused, some of them murdered, because they, had, they were sent by God to give warnings, to say things that nobody wanted to hear. We kind of maybe romanticize the idea of being a prophet, someone who's got special insight into the future and can predict things and see things and hear from God and meet with God. We kind of maybe romanticize that or spiritualize that in certain ways, but it was a hard, hard job. Nobody wanted to listen to this. And actually, Malachi here in this passage, it says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside. This is the age-old story of the human race. It doesn't matter how clearly we hear from God or how many miracles we see or the, 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 the truth of God's word that we're exposed to, it seems like the human heart has a lot of problems, wants to rebel against God, wants to resist God, wants to ignore God's word and do its own thing. But because God loves us, because he loves us so much, God loves us so much, he gets in our way. He gets in our pathway. He interrupts us. Puts him, he blocks our path and he calls us back to himself and he promises here in this passage, he says, you know, return to me. You've gone, you've been away with people, you've disobeyed me again. All throughout the ages, you're kind of turning away from me. He says, return to me and I will return to you. And there's a wonderful promise here. There's a wonderful revelation, insight here that God wants to get close to us. He's very serious about getting very close to us, about having a very deep, intimate relationship with each one of us. That he interrupts our lives and he sends prophets to us, sends representatives, sends messengers and messages and words to us to change our minds, to change our hearts, to help us to actually trust him and follow him and know him. This is how good and loving God is. But if we don't read this rightly, these verses here, it almost seems like God's saying, you first, you come to me first, then I'll return to you. Then I'll love you. Then I'll approach you. It almost sounds, it doesn't sound like the grace of Jesus that we like to talk about a lot. It sounds like kind of conditional, a conditional relationship, if you don't read it right. This is why it takes a lifetime sometimes to like read the Bible well. But let me ask you, who's making the first move here in this passage? Who's the one always making the first move throughout the biblical history? God's always the one initiating, always the one reaching out. We don't send prophets to God to send messages to God, messengers to God saying, God, you really need to change your mind and kind of change your attitude here and get more in line with what we're thinking. We don't do that. God's the one that's always sending messengers and messages to us to help realign us towards him because he's the truth. He's the greatest good. So he initiates, so he speaks, and this salvation that he brings to us, our souls being redeemed and our lives being saved by him, it's not, it's not earned by us. It's given by God to us. Now, it's important that we respond to God's call. We have to respond to it. But it's not something that we've earned. It's, by, it's, it's, un, it's unconditional. His initiation with us is always unconditional, yet we should respond to it, which is the point of Malachi here. It's saying, hey, return, return. We also understand that when God's grace comes to us, it's so powerful, it really is irresistible. When God's grace comes to us, it is so powerful, it is irresistible. And verse 6 says, don't, says actually, this ver the first verse that we read here, 
says, O children of Jacob, Jacob, you are not consumed. That's God's promise saying, I'm not going to destroy you because I don't change, because I don't change. Not because of how you are, but because of how I am, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm not going to destroy you. That's the unconditional nature of this. It's, wonderful. it's a wonderful promise. That's what gives us our security because we can doubt that. We can doubt God's love for us or God's care for us, but we see in these verses here, God does, he loves us so much. He lo- Maybe you need to hear that today, how much God cares about you and wants to know you and delights in you. Now, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, right? The Bible is split into these big, two big chunks, right? Old Testament, that's like the story of the nation of Israel and all the families and the tribes and all that stuff, and God trying to redeem them and help them and save them and that being a big mess, but all through it, all these clues, all these messages, all these promises of, you know, this is all temporary, all these things. I'm, I'm going to do a new thing. There's all these predictions in the Old Testament of, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to do a greater thing. I'm going to do a greater work. And then as you flip the page from Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, you flip the page, you get to the New Testament. You get to the book of Matthew, the first gospel about Jesus. And you see the realization of all these promises. That God came in himself directly, rather than just sending representatives and sending prophets, rather than just doing that, just sending, you know, recruiting other people to bring the messages. God still does that, right? God still recruits us to send his message out. But in a particular point in history, he says, I'm going to come directly myself in his son Jesus, in bodily form, perfectly. So as you flip over from Malachi to Matthew, you suddenly begin to see, like, wait, all the things that were vague and uncertain that we, we couldn't quite see clearly enough, now it's starting to make, all make sense. Now God's plan is coming about. And we see that plan in Jesus, that the forgiveness of our sins is a free gift to us, secured through the death of Jesus on the cross, and it demands a response from us. And if you haven't responded to this sacrifice of Jesus, you know, sin has a penalty to it. We know it. We know it. It's, it's in our nature. We know if there's a wrong done, we know somebody's got to pay. Right? That's always the response. Is somebody, who's going to pay for this? Someone has something wrong? We know that. And that's because we're made in God's image, and God is that way. The justice of God. So our sin must be dealt with. Somebody, we have to pay for our sin, but in Jesus we're forgiven. And he pays for our sin. And if you haven't put your hope in Jesus today, take that step today. Put your hope in Jesus today. Repent of your sin today. But for those of us who are already saved, who are already in God's family, we have this identity. We're in him. But again, we can struggle with this, which is why the prophets came, is we're not really following the way we should be following. We're kind of sometimes partially following, but not fully following. We're doing bits and pieces here or there, but our hearts still really aren't fully submitted or obedient to God. And so that's when he says, I'm going to come to you if you will actually follow my statutes, if you will follow my laws, if you will follow my commands, if you'll trust me with this. So this, this passage gives believers a very clear and important way to respond to God, and it's about money. That's what the prophet Malachi is talking about here, money. Now, there's lots of ways we can respond to God, and the Bible talks about different ways at different times, but today we're addressing specifically, we're talking about money and the issue of giving. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm not talking to you, all right? We don't want your money. God's not, God doesn't care about how much money you give. God cares about your heart and your soul and, and saving you. But if you already believe in Jesus, this is crucial. Those who claim Jesus, this is crucial for us to understand. Again, God doesn't need our money. Right? God's not, his bank balance isn't dipping down. He's not struggling with, with resources. God wants our hearts. 
God wants our hearts. And in the Gospels, it says that uh, Jesus actually said, teaches us that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So the Bible tells us there's this connection between wealth and worship. Total connection between wealth and worship. That whatever we use our money for reveals what we love. But also, if we have been loving something and using our money in particular ways, that if we reassign that money and invest it or use it for other things, then our affections move to wherever our money is. That's what the Bible reveals to us, that that's the power that money has in our lives. So our hearts can be more enthralled with God, more in love with God, more worshipful of God as we put our treasure into Him and His purposes. This is how the human spirit works. We worship what we invest in. And then the Scripture is warning us about the consequences of not doing this. It's warning us about the consequences of not doing this. So let me read verses 8 and 9 again. It's very strong language here. It says, will man rob God? So he's accusing us of stealing. And it says, you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So this is pretty bad. They're in a pretty bad way. They've all, they're all failing at their obligation to give these tithes and contributions. Now, the Bible teaches us that everything belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, right? That's in the Psalms. And in God's generosity, He graciously and abundantly provides for us. So we can all benefit from God's green earth, and He blesses us with work and productivity and to give us income and wealth and fulfillment in our lives. He blesses us in all those ways. But because everything is His, yet He lends it to us to steward it, we can only truly be accused of theft towards God if he truly, if it truly belongs to him and he's truly lent it to us and genuinely gives us the responsibility to manage it and steward it. That he steps back. He says, I'll give it to you. Everything's mine, but I'll, give it, I'll lend it to you. You can steward it. You use it, but it belongs to me. This is the mind-blowing truth of Scripture. It really, if you can really get this idea, it really transforms the way you think about everything in your life. Because... If we view things as belonging to us, we, we, we have a lot of control issues, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Once it really sinks in, it's not mine. It's really not mine. It's God's. It's, it's powerful. It's a powerful, it's, you know, it's that, it's that paradigm shift, right? That, sorry to use a, <laughs> every time I hear someone say paradigm shift, I'm like, that was from the 80s, right? That's, uh, do we still say that? I heard someone say it recently, and I was like, I'm going to bring that back. Paradigm shift. Man. Feel it. Feel the power of the paradigm shift. All right. <laughs> so because God, everything belongs to God, he lends everything to us, money and possessions, and then he's legitimately hands off with it, legitimately gives us the responsibility to steward it, which means we can make good decisions with it or bad decisions with it, as we all know. We can all make good decisions or bad decisions without our money, possessions, and resources, and our time and energy, all of that, all of the things that we have that God gives us. And this is very direct and very strong language because God's saying when we neglect those things that we've been given responsibility for, when we neglect to be generous towards God and return to God what is His, we actually drift away from Him. And the greatest thing we need is Him. And so how we handle money is directly related to our relationship with God. In fact, there's a direct correlation between spiritual apathy and giving. And you can pro probably you know this from your own life. 
You probably, I know this from my life. If I drift in this area of being generous towards God and towards others, there's kind of a spiritual apathy there. I don't feel as close to God, not as strong in my faith. And we, fall in, we can fall into spiritual laziness and we can fall into disillusionment and rebelling against God when we neglect tithes and offerings. Now, what are tithes and offerings? What are these things? Because two different words, are they the same thing? The word, well, they're not. The word tithe means tenth. The word tithe means tenth. Now, if you've been around a church any length of time, you probably heard this a thousand times, so I apologize. But maybe this is new to you, or maybe you need a refresher. So here we go. So a tenth clearly is 10%, right? So a tithe is 10%. So if somebody comes to church and they drop a 20 in the offering, that could be a contribution. A contribution is any amount other than a tenth. But we can't call it a tithe unless our paycheck was $200, if our paycheck was $200, then that is a tithe, because it's, a t- it's 10% of our income, depending on what time period we got, we got paid in. Leviticus 27 verse 30 says this, it says, every tithe of the land, so every 10% of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Now, this is taking up the tithe to another notch. We understand that everything is the Lord's, the fullness of, of the earth, everything in the earth is God's. We belong to God, everything belongs to God. But the tithe particularly belongs to God. Because the word holy means to be set apart. You know that, right? If, to, to be holy means it's set apart, it means it's, it's distinct, something to be used distinctly, only consecrated for God and for God's purposes and God's ministry. So we're saying that the first 10% of any produce, any income, any wealth that we might receive, it's God's. And because it is particularly directly God's, everything should be, everything in our lives should be, we should be willing for it to be available for God's purposes, and we should understand God can use me to, and call me to use my resources and my time and my energy and my, my treasure and all that stuff. He can use any of that stuff at any point in any way, but this 10%, there's no wiggle room with this. This is directly, specifically his, and therefore it's wrong for me to keep it for myself. The Old Testament actually, surprisingly, had three tithes, three tithes. Let's go through these real quick. So the first tithe, the first 10% they had was to support their spiritual leaders in the temple ministry of the Levites. The second one they had was to fund their annual festivals. And then the third one they had was ministry to the poor. And this one is interesting because... um, they, this was taken every three years, and so if you prorate that, basically at a, at, a, at a minimum, Old Testament believers were giving 23% of their income. They had free will offerings and other special offerings on top of that, where they're, like doing, they're building the temple, they're doing other special funds for other things, so they have extra giving on that, but the basic, the three tithes amounted to about 23% annually that they were giving. How does that make you feel? Now, one thing we have to keep in mind is this was their centralized system of funding their culture. Not quite like our taxation system. Some similarities, but a different kind of system. But in one sense, they were funding, you know, they're funding these festivals, funding care for the poor, funding their, you know, the, the, the central importance of their spiritual life together. Now, because God's people today are no longer a national government anymore, like ancient Israel was a theocracy, was God's people, was a, a government. 
We're not like the church is not that anymore. God's people are not that anymore. We're now an international spiritual family. It's been totally transformed through the ministry and coming of Jesus. And so these ties and contributions that Malachi is prophesying to ancient Israel, they still apply to us, but they're a bit transformed. There's some difference here. So the festivals that they had, in, in, uh, they had the festival of the booths, and they had all these other festivals that they had um, in the Old Testament. We know that through the ministry of Jesus, we've got direct verses about this in the New Testament, that those things have fallen away. They've been made obsolete. They've been replaced Hebrews talks about this. Other passages talk about this. And so we don't, gather, we don't gather up a tithe anymore for these kind of fest to fund these kinds of festivals. We're told not to, essentially. And now, but that doesn't mean that we might not take up offerings to have festivals or celebrations or other, you know, we might still fund things in that way, but we're not doing the ones that they were doing in the rhythm that they were doing in the way that they were doing it. Now, of course, also this every three-year kind of tithe to, to ministry for the poor, again, that particular rhythm has fallen away with, the, with the, 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 the changing of the Old Testament to the New Testament. That's fallen away with the coming of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that generosity to the poor has fallen away. We still want to be very generous and help those in need. Now, that temporary, that, that rhythm was temporary, but now it's been transformed. And so we're, kind of, we're, we're free to reimagine it. We're free to practice it in a different way. So one, ways, one of the ways that we do this at Trinity is um, each year around Christmas time, so this will be coming up soon here in the next, in the next few months, but around Christmas time we take up a special offering to, to go outside of ourselves. So we do some one-time gifts for different um, needs, to meet different needs in our city and, and globally as well, but also to fund our benevolence ministry so that throughout the year we can have funds for anyone in our church or connected to our church who hits financial hardship so that we're maximizing our generosity to those in need. So we, that's one way that we want to still fulfill that heart of generosity to those in need. All right? So we still have the same spirit behind it, although the function of form itself has been transformed. But that first tithe that we mentioned, the one to the temple ministry, the one to support the priests of the day, even though those expressions of those functions of fallen away, the spirit of them hasn't, and the purpose remains. They tithe to their ministry as an indication of their thanks to God for the spiritual leadership that he had provided for them and to sustain the ministry of God's people. They knew the importance of making a significant investment into the continuation and the centrality of God's work. They knew if we're not funding this thing, if we're not making this important, we're not going to get taught God's word. We're going to get off track. We're not, God's not going to be the greatest thing in our lives and in our culture. But we don't want to give God our leftovers. We want to give him our best like they did, that, those first fruits. So Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor God with your first fruits. Not our leftovers, not can I afford it. At the end of the month, it's no, this is what I do to begin with, to put God in first place. And God makes an astonishing promise specifically about tithing here. So verse 10, read, read verse 10 again. It says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now tithing, this tithe, giving this 10%, is a divine challenge by God 
for us to test God's generosity and to test God's faithfulness. God's saying, I dare you. I double dog dare you to see what I'll do if you do this step, if you take this step. The promise is that as we start tithing, God gathers it all together, makes it grow, multiplies it, pours out blessing upon us, uses that giving to bless others and meet needs. It's kind of counterintuitive to us. It's not in our human nature to think this way, but as we receive from God's Spirit, we understand this, that giving is receiving. Giving is receiving. There's intangibles, you know, that you feel the joy of God as you give. You feel the freedom of God, the peace of God as you give. Those, those, those intangibles, always that reward is always there. But there are other provisions as well and other blessings as well that God gives us. Don't worry, that's not, that's not a prosperity gospel. We're not into that. But we, we, we can't deny that God does honor. And even there are eternal rewards for our good works. We know that. Jesus talked about that many times, to lay up treasures in heaven. Now, we're told to never put God to the test with anything else. You remember maybe in the temptations of Jesus in the Gospels, right, where he's tempted and he quotes Scripture like, you do not test the Lord your God, except for with money. This is the only place in Scripture that says, God says, put me to the test. Not supposed to do it with anything else. But with this, we are supposed to do it. And the promise is, God is saying, I'll never let you down. I'll never let you down. If you test me in this way, I will never let you down. What a powerful test. No wonder people who regularly give and make this a priority actually feel close to God because they actually experience the fulfillment of that promise in God. That's how it works. That's how it works. He wants to open up the windows of heaven and share with us. And he's inviting us to grow in our faith. Now, what, there may be a question here still. Some people may ask, is tithing really still valid? Is tithing really still valid? Isn't, isn't it so different from the New Testament to Old Testament? You know, I thought a lot of these things had changed. or That could still be a question that we have. Three things. We, don't talk about, we haven't talked about this in several years, so let's get into the nitty-gritty. Let's get, do a deep dive here. Three things. I think make a very strong argument that actually this first tithe is still an expectation for all those who follow Jesus. So number one is that tithing started before God gave the law and before God established the nation of Israel. Now, because we, we can argue like, well, God established the nation and this was their centralized way of funding their, their, their culture and giving to the temple, but we don't have any of that stuff anymore, so it's, it's irrelevant. Actually, the counter to that is it tithing started before all of that. Jacob gave tithe in Genesis chapter 28. We have specific verses in the, Old, in the New Testament that tell us that the special, uh, the sacrificial offerings that they w- would make have come to an end. But there are no verses that tell us that the tithe ever came to an end. Second reason is that the New Testament Christians gave well above 10%, even to the point of selling their property, giving huge amounts to those in need. Some people, they don't like the idea of a tenth. That's okay. You can give 11%. You can give 12%. You can give a different percentage. But Christians in the New Testament never gave below that. That's very clear. The third reason is that Jesus affirmed tithing in Matthew 23, verse 23. Jesus says this. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin. So these are all their herbs that they're tithing in their garden. 
and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So he's saying both are important. Both, you should be doing both. You should be tithing and you should be doing justice and showing mercy and, and faithfulness. So Jesus himself, because sometimes you'll hear Christians say, the New Testament doesn't say teach anything about tithing. Unfortunately, right here it says it. Four excuses about not tithing. Four excuses. First one is, I've heard this before, someone will say, it sounds so legalistic. It's just legalistic to be so precise. Why can't I just give out of my heart? If I feel like God wants me to give this, I'll give that. If God wants me to give this, I'll give that. I'll just be led by the Spirit in just joyous, rapturous, gracious giving. This tithe business just sounds legalistic. My response to that, whenever I've heard that, is to remind people that you know, anything good can become legalistic. You know, if you regularly give to the poor and needy, you could feel obligated by that, feel like that's something legalistic. Does that mean you're going to stop doing it? <laughs> I don't think that's the right response. I think we need to transform how we think about it in our hearts. And if we're struggling with legalism, the, the issue is with us, not with what God is calling us to do. The second excuse is this. I need to pay my debt first. And I really sympathize with people. We are in a debt-laden culture, aren't we? School debt, credit card debt, all kind of debt. Some of it's self-inflicted. Sometimes debt's unavoidable. But let me answer it this way. I really do sympathize. But let me answer it this way. We shouldn't steal from God to pay man. If we were to list out all of the debts that we have, and then we were to prioritize them, what's the most important debt? What do we owe the most? God would be at the top of the list. I'm indebted to God more than anyone else. I want to honor God. I want to give back to God more than anyone else. I owe him everything. He's got to be at the top of the list. And honestly, this is very common. Christians that start practicing tithing and start saying, this is holy, this is devoted to you, this is consecrated, this, I have to return it to you, that first 10%, and then you know, I can give beyond that if I want to. But if I, as I do that, a couple of things happen. I, I hear this countless times. Christians find the discipline to actually pay off their debt faster than they intended to in the first place. But there are even stories of many people getting a pay raise, getting a better job, getting other, other resources that God's providing to bless them and actually handling that debt in other ways. I'm not promising that, but that's not uncommon to see God. God wants to open up the windows of heaven and bless us. God loves us. God loves us. He loves his children. He wants to provide for us. The third excuse is this. Some might say, well, you know what? All right, all right, all right. I love Jesus. I get the Bible. I get it. It's the right thing to do. I'm just not there yet. I'll ease into it. I'll just ease into it. You know, I'll start with 2%. Then I'll get to 4%. And then I'll just keep tacking it on until, like, I kind of tricked myself into it. And then I'm like, then I'm at 10%. And then I'm good to go. All right. How, how do we respond to this? Well, let's say I came to you and I said, look, i got a problem. I, I confess to you. God, I've got a problem with robbing convenience stores. I just can't help myself always robbing these convenience stores. And you say, Matt, that's illegal and immoral. You must stop immediately. That's wrong. You just And I, I, my response to you might be, I'll just ease out of it. You know, I'll just cut down. I'll just eliminate. I'll do one less this week, and I'll try and get some honest way of, you know, supplementing that source of income. Of course, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But if the Bible is telling us actually we're stealing from God by not returning this 10% to him, then 
We can't ease into it. We can't ease into it. The fourth excuse is this. I can't afford it. I can't afford it. Now, if you don't have any income, of course you can't afford it. You can't give. You can't tithe if you've got nothing coming in. So, of course. And obviously, if, you've got, if you're living off of loans, you're a student, that's not your money. Don't be giving that. Maybe you can give 10 bucks here or there, but like, you know, really you don't give off of loans. It's someone else's money. You know, they need to learn to be generous. You, they, they don't need you learning to be generous with their money, right? I can't afford it. Imagine this. Imagine your employer came to you, and legitimately some people, you know, do need help earning more money and that kind of stuff, and that's, you know, there are steps to be taken uh, in that. But imagine your employer comes to you and says, we're really sorry. You know, just like everyone's struggling at this time, and now our organization is really struggling, and we've got a couple of options. Either we have to lay off a bunch of people, possibly including you, or the, the other option is, is that we have to reduce everyone's salary by 10%. And we really, don't, we really don't want to lay anyone off, because that would be worse for those people. So we're going to do a, an organization-wide 10% reduction of everyone's salary. We're really sorry. We hope you can manage it. But hopefully, it's not for long. But that's what we're going to have to do, at least this year, to get through. What would be your response? Obviously, you're not going to be super happy. Be like, well, that's 10% less. You know, not super happy. Would you survive? Probably, most likely. We're resourceful people, aren't we? We would find a way to adjust. We'd go to Starbucks less. We'd cut back on our frivolous spending. We'd get tighter with our budget. We'd figure out, we'd find a way to do it. We'd hustle. Maybe we'd replace that income through some other means. We'd find a way to respond. So the excuse of I can't afford it is not really true. We could. We could. It's an issue of priorities. It's an issue of what's important to me. Let me tell you about Peter Marshall. A man once came to Peter Marshall, who was the former chaplain of the United States Senate. And he came with a concern about tithing. And he says, I have a problem. I've been tithing for some time. It wasn't too bad when I was making $20,000 a year. I could afford to give up $2,000. But now I'm making $500,000. There is no way I can afford to give away $50,000 a year. And Peter Marshall reflected on this wealthy man's dilemma, but gave no advice. He simply said, yes, sir, I see that you have a problem. I think we ought to pray about it. Is that all right with you? And the man agreed. So Dr. Marshall bowed his head and prayed, dear Lord, this man has a problem, and I pray that you will help him. Please reduce his salary back to the place where he can afford to tithe. Practically, two common questions about tithing. I really hope this isn't your first time at church today. Because, like I said, we haven't taught on this stuff for a while, but this is the Bible's teaching on it. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Maybe you are. I, I, I want to tell you, there's real liberation and freedom and joy in following and trusting God with these things and practicing these things, the provision, the blessing that we get from these things. Two practical questions. One question people often have is, should I tithe should I give that 10% of my first fruits? Should I tithe on my gross income or my net income? And the answer I always like to give is, well, how much do you want God to bless you? How much do you want God to bless you? You know, we ta we're taxed off of our gross. We want to be more generous to God than the government. And then the, the second practical question is, where should I tithe? I get this question every so often. Some Christians, you know, really have it on their hearts to support various Christian organizations and charities. Mercy ministries, justice initiatives, or individuals that raise money for different ministries, different things they're doing. 
And all of those things are well and good. They're good things. If, if, if a Christian feels a particular calling to invest in those things, like, great, go for it. But first and foremost, we've got to follow Scripture. And we've got to follow the heritage that we have across the centuries, what Christians have practiced throughout church history. We really do need to maximize our first fruits to the ministry of the church. And the reason is, is that really the church alone has been mandated by God to make disciples and to spread the gospel. Jesus came to establish his church for his purposes. So in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, when the people brought their offerings, they laid them at the apostles' feet. Paul himself says, ministers of the gospel should be compensated. And in our passage today, God says, bring in, bring in the full tithe into the storehouse that so there may be food in my house. And the apostle Peter tells us that we're like a spiritual house being built together. You know, we're the body of Christ together. And if you feed a body peanuts, it's going to be malnourished. I just want to say thank you. There's many people, many people in this room, you're probably thinking, I don't really need to hear this sermon. I get it. I've been tithing. I'm all about it. But I hope it's been a blessing and a reminder to you. Thank you to everyone who is faithfully tithing. If this is not your church, then tithe somewhere else. Like the point isn't where we give it. The point is that we give it. That's the point. But I do believe today that God wants to transform some of us from being just tippers into being tithers. The issue, issue isn't how much the church receives. The issue is that we're all playing our part. And as we honor God, we receive that blessing from him. Let me get real practical here again. Let me, let me encourage you, if this is new for you, maybe you're an occasional giver. You give a little bit here or there. Let me encourage you to try tithing for four months. Try it for four months. Test God for four months. I'd encourage you, if Trinity's your church, do it here. If you, if you belong to another church, do it there. But for four months, try testing God with tithing and see how he blesses you. See what happens in your, in your, with your spiritual apathy. See what happens with your spiritual fervency. Now, practically, how do we give? We've got a few ways to give. We have three ways to give, in fact, practically. So we give online. We can give with the envelope, and we give via text message as well. Keep these up uh, for a little while. Brian, please. Thank you. Let's give a hand for Brian back there doing the, all the slides today. And Marina on cameras, too. Let's give Marina a hand on cameras. All right. Now, let me say, to give online, try.church slash give, there's an opportunity there to give a one-time gift. Also, there's an opportunity to set up recurring giving. That's how you set up the tithing option there. Um, that's our preferred option, to give by automation that way. That's how I give. And the reason for that, that that's our preferred option that we encourage people to give that way is because uh, it helps us be more consistent and more faithful. I don't want to miss a month in the year or a couple of months thinking, just doing it manually. I know I don't have the best memory in the world. So it helps me be more faithful to God, but also it helps to remove some logistical burdens uh, to our church just because it's automated, right? The machines, the machines help do the work for us before they take over everything. Um, so that's, that's uh, the other option is the envelope. So we actually have, on the back table here, we have these blue envelopes. You can put cash in here, put a check in here. You can actually give with a credit card on here. And you can take it home and mail it back. Uh, don't mail cash, though. Um, but also we have these boxes on the wall back here. And we have one also uh, on the main entrance as you exit. You can put these, these envelopes in those uh, boxes on the back wall. There's different ways to give. You can give via text, all those different ways uh, to give. I want to encourage you today... If you're not a believer, let me just reiterate this. I'm not talking to you. God doesn't need your money. doesn't want your money. He, 
If you are a follower of Jesus, this is an important step of discipleship. This is an important step of us growing in our faith and trusting Him with our faith and funding ministry. Let's have the band come up, and I want to end with this story and, and another, one more scripture as well. Uh, Willard uh, Cantillon, in his book, The Day the Dollar Dies, tells the story of a German mother who wanted to help build a Bible school outside the city of Frankfurt, which had been destroyed after the war. All during the war, she had held her money with pride and tenderness, hoarding it, guarding it, stashing it away, because one day she would invest it in a worthy cause. The day that she was going to take her money and use it to build that school, the German mark, their currency, had been canceled by the government. That Sunday in June 1948, a staggering number of Germans committed suicide. Millions lost their savings. Like this woman, they had failed to exchange their money for something that would survive the economic collapse. It's obviously good to save up for certain things, right? We want to, that's, there's a balance to this. We, saving is good, but hoarding, never, never giving, never being genera, generous, never using actually the wealth that we've been blessed with now in the here and now is a real mistake. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's respond in worship.